My name's Kate Key. I'm an intern at the IFG, and I'll be comparing this event today. Um, so I started at the IFG in October. Before that, I studied my undergraduate at the University of Edinburgh, where I did politics and philosophy. Um, I specialized in political theory and moral philosophy there, and I wrote my dissertation on LGBT social movements in India. Um, my previous work experience before I came to the IFG was mostly in summer internships, in journalism and speech writing, and I also did some volunteering as a researcher at different NGOs. So at the IFG, I work on the Whitehall Monitor team. The Whitehall Monitor is our annual report, which monitors the performance of government. On the Whitehall Monitor, I'm making a lot of charts, and I'm writing a chapter about government transparency. I also work on the ministers team, where I work with data, charts again, and write explainers about ministers, party leadership elections, and different aspects of parliament. So I'm going to run through how this event's going to work, and then go through a few housekeeping things before introducing our first speaker. So for the first hour, you're going to hear from Bronwyn, Gavin, Souk, Maddy, and Akash, who are going to give short presentations about the work of the IFG, about the policy work, um, about the policy world, and about our six-month internship, which starts in March or April and is paid, and applications are going to open for the internship today. Um, so you can apply after this. Um, we'd like, love you to save all your questions for the end, where we'll have a 30-minute panel discussion. Um, and um, yeah, so we're going to answer all your questions in the panel. Um, so this event is aimed at widening participation in the policy world and informing you all about how our internship works, how the wider think tank sector works, um, and encouraging you all to get involved. The IFG is a great dynamic environment in which to work, and you will learn a lot here. So before we start, we have a couple of housekeeping things. We don't have a fire alarm test schedule for today, so if the alarm goes off, please exit the building. Feel free to connect to the Wi-Fi, um, which is going to be on the slide above. This is the Wi-Fi network. Um, and get involved with the Twitter discourse where we have the hashtag IFGintern, where Hayden over here will be live tweeting. Um, and please um, feel free to get in touch with any of us interns um, online as well, either during or after the event. Um, and feel free to ask us any questions about the internship. Um, we also have a Slido. Um, where anyone watching on the live stream can submit questions that they have, which we'll answer in the panel discussion. Great. So, um, first up, you're going to hear from Bronwyn, who's the director of the Institute. Bronwyn joined as director in 2016. Before that, she was the editor of Prospect magazine and the foreign editor of The Times. She's going to welcome you all. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, and, and uh, thank you all very much for coming. And I hope you haven't had too far to come. Um, things feel rather unsettled to us in this election week, and uh, I'm really conscious of people's time and, uh, and, and those who make the time to come here, particularly this week. Um, as Katie said, I'm, I'm Bronwyn Maddox. I'm the director. I've been here about three years. And I'm going to do uh, just a couple of things in my brief remarks before handing you over to the excellent uh, panel here and other colleagues. One is to tell you a bit about the Institute, and one is to tell you um, about our intern program and why we're so keen to get a wide range of people here who can bring us lots of ideas and why this is really, really important to us. On the Institute itself, it had been set up about 11 years ago by David Sainsbury, um, uh, the surname uh, indeed from the, the supermarket family, and he'd been uh, finance director and chairman 
there, but then went into government, uh, working for uh, Tony Blair's government as science and tech minister. And he was there for eight years in that role, and he's very passionate about science and tech and further education in every form in the UK. But he said he spent about a month uh, being very polite to everyone, and government being a very strange thing, having come from the commercial world. And then he sat up and thought, it, it actually doesn't work very well. You've got all these kind of bright, dedicated people in, in public service, uh, and yet what comes out, the decisions, and then how it's actually delivered, not brilliant in his view. And he wanted to set up a think tank that was very, very different from other ones. It didn't do policy, it didn't do what is the answer to the NHS, um, or you know what should, um, energy policy be, but it did the how of it. Uh, if that's your policy for the NHS, how do you do it? How do you solve social care? If you want to be carbon neutral by 2050, how do you do it? This kind of thing. Did, how, do you, how, do you, how do you run Whitehall? How do you run government departments? And one of the big questions we've had, um, somewhat to our surprise in the past three years, how do you do Brexit? I took the job three days before the referendum, and everyone calmly assumed that it was going to go remain and the, that the work of the Institute would be very different and, uh, uh, and would not have to deal with this pesky question. And uh, things have turned out, actually, we've we're, um, been fascinated to be really in the thick of it, to coin a phrase on that. So what we do now, we have several uh, uh, big pillars of programs, but lots of work within that. And we've got about half a dozen program directors and other senior people, including uh, very senior economists and so on. And we, um, we have a big block of work on Brexit. It's, it's, it's between a quarter and a third of what we do, but it, we, you know, it won't get bigger and, and very likely will dwindle as we build, build up other work. Big block of work around public finances and public spending and the public services, um, the, the health and education and prisons and so on, what money goes into those things and what performance actually comes out. And we spend quite a lot of time talking about performance. How is government doing? And what, in what way does it make sense to talk about that question? How much of this can we put into numbers? How, uh, how much of this does it not make sense to put into numbers? And then we um, have, a, have a lot of uh, uh, parliamentary and constitutional work which has really come uh, racing up with Brexit. Uh, how does Parliament work? How do the select committees work? How do MPs hold government to account? What about transparency and data? Or all those kind of questions. And even though the picture you had up there at the beginning was the um, Houses of Parliament because it's easy shorthand, we do a lot right around the UK and uh, we uh, um, focus a lot on the devolved nations. I uh, just back recently from Northern Ireland where we did a big report. We do a lot on Scotland and we do, do a lot and want to do a lot more on different parts of the UK. And the experience that they have of government in those different areas is very, very different from the experience that people living in the heart of London have. And that is absolutely something we reflect in our work and intend to capture the spirit of. And then we back that up. I mean, a lot of this is in words and in interviews. People go out and talk uh, to civil servants, to um, heads of uh, whether it can be schools or, or public services. Or, uh, but um, some of it is dealing with government data. Gavin runs uh, a lot of that stuff, uh, dealing with the huge volume of government data that has astonishing uh, black holes in it uh, in, many, in many areas, if that's a fair description and um, what can we do as an institute to um, to nag uh, and persuade government to, to change that and we um, how do we actually achieve work because I mean the point of being here is not to be a research institute 
just describing problems, though that has its use. The point of being here is to be advocates for change. We want to change government for the better, to persuade it to change, um, because these are things that affect absolutely everyone's life. This isn't some rarefied course in political science about how best to run a country, though we deal with those countries, uh, those, those questions as well, and there's some fascinating questions of, of, of democracy in our constitution that have suddenly very, very live. They're actually the kind of things that people are having arguments over their, over their supper tables and so on. But we want to um, give government a reason to change in some both in some of the big picture ways and in some of the most technical ways that are invisible in the outside world. Things like getting civil servants to be uh, specialized in what they do um, so that people dealing with you know, the nation's finances and with public spending actually have finance and accountancy qualifications. That's, uh, that's been one of the Institute's uh, bugbears and one of our successes. So we, just in all this, um, we want to publish reports, we want to have events, um, and we want to be have public and private conversations that give government a path, an argument for, uh, for how it should change, and an incentive to change by, uh, if you like, the noise that we're making about it. Um, but some of our work we absolutely do in private. We have a lot of meetings here with senior people in government and, um, uh, and discuss with them what they want. Because people um, in government, I'm not speaking about their politics, but they're in it believing that government can make a difference, that it's an answer to the country's problems. And they're, they, they're all too aware of a lot of these problems. They themselves want to change the system. So while certainly part of our role is to be the noisy critic telling the media uh, what we think should change, we also want to work with government, with civil servants, with ministers, about how they see it and what would make it easier for them to change. So that's, that's broadly what we, we, we do. A um, lot of stuff. Um, some things are very big reports. Some of them take a year to put together. Many take a few months. That would be typical. Um, many, many of the things we do, though, are, are one-page comments or explainers, and those drive a lot of the traffic on our website, and we're very conscious of that traffic and how you get um, attention, and we very much um, want um, uh, people's voices in the Institute to come out through those things and we're also very active on, on um, particularly on Twitter um, in, in trying to get our arguments out there. And in terms of the intern program, we spend a lot of time interviewing people, um, trying to bring them together in this kind of thing, saying what, a, what a, um, a job and a career here would look like because it really matters to us to have a wide range of people. We've got uh, about 45 people now, just under two-thirds of those in the research department and the rest in our excellent operations and communications uh, departments that help help us uh, put together events and get out the publications and so on. And we want um, really as many ideas coming into that. And it's part of the features, uh, the character of the Institute that we really encourage people, even if they are an, um, have been in the Institute one day, to chip in their ideas. And that's very much what we look for in interviews um, is just some people who can you who are interested in the outside world, interested in these kind of questions, and can use the kind of evidence that's around to make to to arrive at a view. And we really look to the intern program just to be able to reach out. We've had some, I mean, absolutely, really, without exceptions, dazzling people come in each cohort of, of interns every every six months. To and and we've been enormously refreshed by that. And so it's something that's enormous importance. 
we do very much, in terms of very much part of the team, are described in pub publications if they've contributed a lot to that as, as, as research assistants. And um, we really, really want their contributions. It's a very um, collegiate place. We all have lunch, uh, whoever's around, but I mean, everyone's welcome to have lunch together downstairs, and that happens every day. And uh, that is very much part of the spirit of the place of bringing people together. And, uh, and the, t the teams work, I mean, it's usually in about uh, between two and four people, a team to get these reports out. So people get a you know, strong connection to their team, but also the opportunity to talk to lots of other people here. And um, we don't automatically recruit from the interns up to researcher jobs, but the, because the intern program runs like clockwork um, every six months, but we do, but we probably rec recruit one or two researchers every year. Uh, we do try to make it known to interns when those jobs are coming up or when other opportunities are. For example, we're starting up a small policy unit for one year, uh, specifically on transport and on energy, and have two research posts or um, sort of uh, somewhere between intern and researcher on that. And so we're letting the current uh, interns know about about those opportunities. So we do let people um, know uh, if there are further opportunities at the Institute that we can't, we can't uh, guarantee that. And we do um, offer, I think, a very um, rewarding, we intend to offer a very rewarding and rich experience where uh, you get to do a lot of research and in return we really want your ideas and your thoughts about what we're doing, what else we could be doing, how we could be doing it better. It's easy for the any organization, particularly if it's got in a, a vein of doing things well or it feels there's a bit of success there to get stale very quickly and someone coming in and saying, have you thought of this? Have you thought of having a different kind of event? Have you thought of having a different kind of conversation with people? That kind of thing is incredibly valuable to us. We're, you know, we're big for, by think tank standards, but we're still quite small. And so that refreshing quality of ideas is incredibly important to us. And um, with that, I'm, go I'm going to stop there. You'll forgive me, I've got to go off for, to our election planning, which is going on, and to things like um, helping Gavin get his report out before, before the election descends or get, get your report repair, prepared. Is there anything anyone would burningly like to ask me before I um, jump off the platform? Or I will leave you to my colleagues, but they can pass questions back to me. Um, but I very, absolutely. It's right, thank you very much. It's writing uh, what we've done already larger. Um, so not just, we've done, I think, central government proud in terms of our analysis of it. I want to write uh, our analysis of government, government much larger across the UK and get much better at drawing evidence from other countries and um, explaining to other countries what of our work crosses international borders. So I think that's the main one. And then it's always keeping the tone right, that it is critical, but um, I don't like the, particularly like the expression criti critical friend, um, uh, because it, in my experience, the, you, you don't, it doesn't really work. But um, uh, keep, keeping the tone absolutely right, that it's fair uh, as well as critical, and that it looks for opportunities as well as uh, what's gone wrong. So that, that is, that's the thing in my role will be absolutely easiest to get wrong. anyone um, else okay well I'm going to leave you with my excellent colleagues then and thank you very much again for coming and any things that occur to you I mean do send to any of us afterwards 
um, if you've still got questions at the end of it, though the intention is that you will have no questions at the end of it, that will all have been answered. Mm -hmm. Okay, absolutely brilliant, and thanks for coming. Wonderful. Okay, this does work. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. Um, we're next going to hear from Gavin. Um, Gavin is a program director of the Institute. He's the head of data and transparency and leads the Whitehall Monitor Project. He's going to talk to you about the think tank world and the IFG's work. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Katie, and um, welcome. Great to see so many of you here in what is a very, very quiet week here in the middle of Westminster and Whitehall. <coughs> Excuse me. As, um, as sort of Katie said, I'm a programme director here, which means that I'm part of the senior team, but I'm also responsible for some uh, areas of our work. I'll tell you a bit more about that shortly and introduce you to the think tank world more broadly shortly as well. Um, but before I do that, I just wanted to give you a quick sense of where I've come from and how I've got to the Institute, because I've spent most of, well, I've spent all of my career in different parts of the sort of public policy world. Uh, Bronwyn mentioned devolution. This is where I'm from originally. This is Port Albert in South Wales. Big steelworks. Um, it's the sort of place that tends to only appear on the news when something's gone badly wrong at the steelworks, or Newsnight are looking for somebody to interview about why they voted to leave the European Union. Um, so after leaving Port Talbot, I went to university, got a degree in history and politics, and then my first job out of that was at the Media Standards Trust, which is, in a horrible phrase, a think-and-do tank. Now, you can probably tell from the media in the name that we thought about media policy, um, but the doing bit was that we were also trying to take quite a practical approach to how to solve a lot of the problems from a very fast-changing journalistic and media ecosystem. So we built websites to help the public navigate the news. We even worked with Sir Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, to try to help people do that more easily. Um, also has something to do with that gentleman there. Does anybody know which famous British writer that is? George Orwell, very good. Um, so my main job at the Media Standards Trust was running the Orwell Prize for Political Writing, so trying to keep people thinking about politics, political ideas, and celebrating good political writing. And um, after the Media Standards Trust, I went to the dark side. I actually started working in politics um, for the Labour Party, for this lady. Anybody know who that is? Is indeed Harriet Harman. Um, at that point, she was uh, the Shadow Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, um, and I was her political advisor working on all of those issues, but particularly looking at press regulation and media regulation. Um, quite an interesting experience. It's, uh, Parliament is a very strange working environment. You don't really get much time to think. Um, and it was quite a, it's funny to look back at that time and think, that felt like a really odd moment in British politics. Now it just feels like a Tuesday. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how much things have changed. Um, I joined the IFG back in 2013. And um, at the moment, the sort of two areas of work I oversee. The first one is this. Um, digital government, if you're talking about digital government, it's obligatory to have a slide with some sort of robot on it. Um, we actually try to be much more sensible than that. People are getting very excited at the moment about artificial intelligence and blockchain and robotics. What we're trying to do with our work is to understand what will that really mean for how government and the civil service actually operate. So trying to see through the hype and the pretty pictures of actually quite cool robots. Um, the second obligatory slide um, is data, and you obviously have to show a slide which has lots of ones and zeros on it. Um, but as you've heard from Bronwyn already, it's much more interesting than that. We try to take data and make sense of it for the wider public, for journalists, for politicians, and for government itself, to try to better understand how government is operating, how public services are operating, and how parliament is operating, and use that as a way to tell government how it could be using numbers more effectively. 
It's worth saying that um, one of the great benefits of working at the Institute is all of the training that we give you. Um, most of the people working on our data projects are not data specialists by background. They come here and we help people um, to work with data. Um, just to give you a sense of some of the data work that we do, we turn, as I said, we turn lots of numbers into charts. Um, you may remember that when Theresa May was losing loads of ministers to resignations, lots of journalists were running around and saying, oh, this feels like it's a bit unusual. Nobody decided to put any numbers on that, so, so we did. Um, this chart is showing you ministerial resignations under different prime ministers. You can see that Tony Blair was prime minister for over 10 years, had about 30 resignations. There's a very thin line here, which you can't quite see on the screen. Uh, Margaret Thatcher had about 25 in 11 years. Should we see how Theresa May did in terms of ministerial resignations? So it does stand out a bit. Um, it's amazing the stories that you can tell with data. And just to bring this up to date, um, keep your eyes peeled on the bottom left-hand corner. And um, this is what's happened with Boris Johnson and his resignations so far. Again, pretty extraordinary, um, which just underlines the British politics that we're living through at the moment. Um, this became a really big chart for us. Loads of media organisations were using it and picking it up. Um, but I think our proud proudest moment was getting it onto Have I Got News For You. There's a graph from the BBC. A graph on a comedy show? This is, a <laughs> <laughs> this is a graph of ministerial resignations before Theresa May, and here it is with Theresa May on it. <laughs> Data is cool, really. Um, I'd loved Ian Hislop's expression of thinking that charts might be funny. Um, I don't really know what he'd think of what I'm about to show you next, um, because we've gone from data visualisation to something else. Um, we've recently launched a podcast, um, and obviously charts don't tend to work very well on podcasts. So um, we've turned to data sonification. That is turning data into sound. And um, what you're about to hear and actually see as well um, is the polling since January. Brexit, Lib Dem. not something I expected to be doing when I joined the Institute back in 2013, so it was slightly out of sync there. Um, but still, you get the, you get the point from the, the sound as well as the pictures, that the, the polls really tightened in the middle of the year. Anyway, um, a little bit more about um, the Institute of Government and what it does. You've already heard a fair bit of that from Bronwyn. Um, as she mentioned, we've sort of been celebrating our 10th anniversary this year, and we are the UK's leading think tank working to make government more effective. Um, as Bronwyn was saying, lots of other think tanks think about the what of particular policy areas. We think much more about the how government actually goes about making a difference in those areas. And it's really important to us that we're independent, impartial and objective. We don't follow any political party or any political line. Um, we publish lots of research and commentary, whether that's charts, um, big research reports, um, or lots of blog posts on our website, or lots of analysis on Twitter. Increasingly this year, lots of media appearances as well. Uh, we hold lots of public events in this wonderful space. Um, we also hold lots of private events to try to get conversations going. 
And we also provide a safe space for discussion and training. And we do quite a bit of work with ministers, potential ministers, and senior civil servants to give them a safe space to think about sort of more difficult issues. Um, I mentioned that the IFG is a think tank. What is a think tank? Would anybody like to have a go at a definition of what a think tank is and what it does? I've got a hand up here. Researches and makes policy ideas, recommendations. That's a very good definition. Anyone else? I mean, this is the Oxford uh, dictionary definition because I was that lazy. Um, a group of experts who provide advice and ideas on political, social, or economic issues. Um, that's actually quite a, a wide range, um, and it does cover quite a lot of very different organisations. And that's what you're about to see on the next slide. Now, obviously, the Institute for Government is a think tank. If I said think tank to you, what do you, are there any others that you've heard of um, that are sort of on your mind that you may have applied to? Name a think tank, anyone. Yes. Uh, Brookings Institute, very big American think tank. Good answer. Uh, Rusi, um, the Royal United Services Institute, who are much more defence-oriented. Come to you in a second. Uh, right at the back. Uh, Chatham, House. Chatham House, looks at foreign policy. IPPR. IPPR. And Smith Institute. Blimey, we've got loads of hands up. Demos. Theos. Very, very interesting. Sort of um, much more religious, religiously focused. Um, excellent um, ideas. Um, this is adapted from teachertoolkit.co.uk. Just gives you a broad sense of some of them that are out there. Um, and they put them on a sort of left to right spectrum. As you can see, we're sort of towards the centre, which is where we like to be. Um, got Chatham House at the top. Um, there are all sorts of different organisations here, some of them quite small, some of them much bigger. We are one of the bigger British think tanks. Some of them are very focused on particular policy areas. So you've got the Education Policy Institute, which unsurprisingly focuses on education. Um, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, who focus on fiscal stuff. Um, and you know, there are some foreign policy think tanks, um, quite a range. Some of them are much more political than others. A lot of their sort of people might go and work for government at some point, or uh, work for them after working for government, and um, others are much more in the centre, some focusing on local government, some focusing on economics, some on social policy, and um, quite a wide range. And it's also worth saying that in addition to all of these up here, there are lots of other sort of civil society organisations that do some of the things that think tanks do. Um, if you take my area, sort of data and digital, for instance, there's something called the Open Data Institute. Not necessarily a think tank, but they do lot, a lot of thinking around particular policy areas. They also sort of build practical solutions to things as well. And lots of charities and sort of trade bodies will also have public policy functions. So although this is quite a good list of some of the think tanks that you might think about working in, um, it's a much broader public policy spectrum than even that. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Gavin. Um, next up, we've got Souk, um, who is a fellow intern working on the public services team. He's going to talk about his background and what intern life is like at the Institute. Thank you, Oops. Thank you Kate Key. Um, yep. Welcome to the Institute for Government today. My name is Souk, and I am an intern, as Kate Key said. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a day in the life of an intern. But the thing is, there's not really a single day in the life of an intern. That's because we all do very different things. 
So the Institute for Government is sort of organized into different areas, different work teams or streams, you might say. And we work in different ones. So I'm actually in the public services team. I look at the provision of health, education, uh, the police, um, and basically how, how that works and how that can be better. And I'm actually working on two projects at the moment, two sort of longer term projects. One is looking at the use of targets in government. So put your hand up if you've heard of the A&E four hour wait target. Yeah, so most people, most people have, do you think it, work? it works? Do you think it doesn't work? There's a lot of evidence to show that actually it doesn't work. So that's something that we're looking at about should government be using a target like that. The next project I'm working on is with our economists and that's focused on tax and tax policy making. So I'm helping them out with basically how does the Treasury work? When the Chancellor says, okay, I don't want to do it, but I need to raise taxes, which ones do they go for? How do they make that decision? Do other countries do it better? So that's the sort of stuff I'm looking at. You've got Kate Key, she's on um, Whitehall Monitor, which is a much bigger report with Gavin, also on the ministerial team. We've got Hayden over there live tweeting for us. He's on Team Brexit, so anything to do with Brexit, that's your guy. We've got Colm looking at insourcing and outsourcing in government as well, which is a, a huge topic of conversation at the moment. The, the election's really going to determine what happens with that or what doesn't happen with that. So Colm's looking at that. He does a few things with our ministers as well. Um, and at the back, Kelly, she's Team Devolution, so anything basically not Westminster based, Kelly's looking at, and that's a sort of maybe you might think is a neglected area, or you might think one of our areas might be a neglected area at the moment, or maybe not so in the case of Hayden and Brexit. But the work of the Institute is carrying on, and it's not just one thing or two things, it's actually we're quite a large uh, organisation, and because of that, we get to focus on a, lot, on a lot of different things. So I am actually quite old, I'm 24 years old, and you might think an internship is what you do sort of straight after university. Um, you come out of university, you go to an internship, or you might even think of an internship as something you do in the summer. But I actually spent two years in journalism before I came to the IFG, and I wanted to talk a little bit about why that was. So I studied politics at university, um, and I studied politics again for my postgraduate, for my master's degree. And at both times I liked studying the, how government works, basically, the idea of government. And I wrote two dissertations on that. And then I went into journalism. Um, I did community journalism. I did nothing really sort of to do with politics at all. And then Brexit stuff kicked off and we had the meaningful votes. We've had everything else that's happened this year, change of prime minister, um, everything since the 2017 election. And I was like, actually, I had this sort of real interesting government there's never been a better time at the moment to be involved in what happens with government, how government works. It's such an important time. So I thought, okay, I want to come into the think tank space. I want to come into this sort of space where we can talk and think about that. And I looked around and I saw that actually there's not that many ways you can get into it. So some people might go straight through academia and they go and they do a master's, they do a PhD. And then afterwards they come as a sort of a researcher after that. But anybody will tell you doing a PhD is a pretty big investment and even then after that you know you don't want to do it just for the sake of coming into a particular field. Some people go into the civil service and after a few years of doing the civil service they might do the fast stream and, and do a few years after that and then think actually I, I want to do a bit more thinking about stuff rather than doing stuff for ministers and they come into a think tank there and that's sort of where I was at but what the institute does is it, it gives you a very clear and defined way of coming into this space. 
which a lot of think tanks don't do. So that's a real big plus um, from the IFG side. So what do we actually do on data databases? Well, this is another really popular graph, and this was done by Keteke. And this basically shows, as you can see, the current majorities of, of cabinet ministers and shadow cabinet ministers. We'll see how what that graph looks like after the election. Some people might not be on there. If you see Theresa Villiers got a very small majority. Leslie Laird as well, she's got a very small majority. Um, stuff like this is what interns do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, some people do more graphs than others, depending on their teams. But this sort of stuff is, is very day-to-day. -day. What do we do after as well? This is two examples of publications and online publications. One's from Hayden, um, and that was in conjunction with Maddie actually about the Brexit bills and the Queen's speech. So an explainer explaining all the different sort of bills in a very sort of easy to understand format. And the other one is from Colm on the uh, very exciting question of what happens if the Prime Minister loses his seat in the election but the Conservatives win a majority because that's never really happened before in modern history. And it's these sorts of things that you can find yourself working on, that you can find yourself producing in conjunction with more senior staff. But as Bronwyn said, a big focus is on big publications. We've been here for two months or so, so I don't think any of us have actually put out a big publication yet. Um, and I'm quite lucky in that I got to start on a team right at the beginning of a publication. Some people have come partway through the process, some people get to start right at the beginning, but at whatever stage you come in, you get to be a big part of the team, you get to have your name on the publication as well afterwards, which is great for you know CV prospects in the long term. And it's really this longer term work rather than perhaps this, this shorter term work that I think sets the institute apart from other bodies and other people because you're here for six months and you get to really experience the whole sort of length and breadth of what the Institute does. Another really cool thing I think about the Institute is that they're used to having interns. And what do I mean by that is that you come in and everything's set up for you on day one. Your IT, your project is such a structured sort of system whereby your senior people and the senior researchers know that they're going to have an intern. They're used to having interns because they have two a year. So there's a clearly defined scope of work for you. On my tax project, for example, I'm basically in charge of researching how foreign countries do tax. So they said to me, Sook, go look at how Canada does it, go look at how Australia and New Zealand do it, and then come back and report to us, and we'll feed that into the report and taking ownership of something like that. So if you enjoy writing a dissertation, for example, at university, it's very similar. That sort of desk research is very similar. And this is what we get up to here. So you can see on the, on the far side, that's what Kelly's been up to doing a literature review. I, it took me weeks to do my literature review of targets as well. That was a really exciting thing because nobody had really read anything about targets. And they said, Sook, right, find what's been written about it, summarize it for us, tell us about it. Another really cool thing is we get to interview people. So the Institute has really strong links with government, with senior ministers, with ex-ministers and ex-civil servants. So I don't know if that is actually St. James's Park in the snow, but it feels like I'm walking in the snow when I'm walking across the park to Whitehall, which I do quite often to interview people. And that's a really cool way of actually getting sort of involved and getting to meet different people. And then also, we have events like we have today, but we have events bringing a whole load of other people in. So here we have John Curtis, 
he came a few weeks ago and he gave like a private briefing to us about the election and all the polling in the election um, and that was something to be a really cool part of and as an intern you don't get to sort of come to these events where we might have panels or speakers of sort of people famous in the political world but you also get to put on events like this as well and, and help out in events so I think you know really big pluses on that side. Um, other reasons to join the IFG? I think it's a quite a relatively flat organization. By that I mean, you know, as Brahman said, we all eat lunch together. There's none of this, you know, other people eat separately from that. Or we all work in the same office together. It's an open plan office and we all have desks near each other. We all converse about stuff and we all sort of pitch in together on our projects. It means that you can go out and you go and talk to someone and you can say, okay, I'm doing this internship, I'm here for six months. I'm not really sure what to do next. I don't know whether to go into academia, I don't know whether to go into the civil service, I don't know whether to go into journalism. You can find three people who have done a PhD, who have been in the civil service for years and who were a journalist before they came here. And you can talk to them and you can develop those contacts and people are so friendly and helpful Everybody here wants to help you out and everybody here is, is mindful that you know you might be thinking about a career. It's a really sort of jumping into a deep end, especially in a, in a sector so small where people sort of quite know each other quite well. You have a really strong asset in sort of knowing a lot of Institute for Government people. Um, and I think with that, I am just about done. China, Thank you so much, Sook. Um, next up, we've got Maddie, who is a senior researcher at the Institute, and she works on the Brexit team. And she's going to talk to you about what life is like as a researcher. Okay, great. Thanks, Kotiki. So, yeah, as Kotiki says, I work on the Brexit team. Um, in particular, um, I have been focusing on what's been going on in Parliament and Brexit. So I've had a very, very quiet year. Um, so I joined as an intern. Um, I was one of the lucky few who a researcher recruitment round came up while I was here and I applied to be a researcher and I got hired. So I have now been here, I think, for over two and a half years. I joined in April 2017. Um, what I thought I'd do is, and I think some of what I've said might have already been said by others, but um, what I thought I'd do is take you through uh, what, wh why we research, what we do, what, what the different uh, outputs we put out um, in terms of what our research informs, and then how we, how we conduct it and what the role of um, researchers are in that. Um, so from my perspective, uh, IFG does research to do two main things, really. The first, and very importantly, is try and make government work better, as others have already said. Um, but also, and I think this is particularly true of the work that I've been doing on Brexit, is also to actually inform the general um, debate around an issue. And as I say, that, that is particularly true of Brexit. So we do have sort of two key audiences. We have those working in government in terms of trying to make government work better, but also there is an audience in the general public. Um, and, and to do this, we, we conduct research because when we want make recommendations about how government works, we want them to be evidence-based, we want them to be properly thought through, and when we are putting information out into the public domain, we obviously want to make sure that information is correct. So, that is, so research is a key part of what we do here. Um, we publish it in different forms, so it's already been mentioned, we might put out longer reports or, or slightly shorter insight papers, which generally include recommendations. So, for example, we've published two reports so far on outsourcing um, and how government can make better decisions in that space. Um, we also publish comment pieces, and those are much more reactive. They respond to 
events in the news or they respond to developments in government. If government decides to do something differently, we might comment on whether we think that is a good idea or there are still problems in what they're trying to do. I think in terms of comment pieces, that's a key part of uh, what Team Brexit does because there's been a lot of developments on Brexit, so we will respond to those. Um, and then finally, we also publish explainers, which have also been mentioned. And those are sort of more factual pieces um, explaining a process or an issue. So it's already been mentioned, comms explainer, on what happens if the Prime Minister uh, loses his seat in an election, um, but also we have explainers on parliamentary processes. Those have been particularly popular this year um, to try and explain what on earth is going on in the House, House of Parliament, because a lot of people just don't really understand that. So we try and set that out, which is useful for the public, but also a lot of journalists use those to, to, to actually understand what's, what's happening when they're reporting. In terms of informing those pieces of research, we do that in, in different ways. So again, it's already been mentioned, so it's already mentioned that we might do desk research. So for example, we might read uh, reports published by select committees um, in the House of Commons or the House of Lords, or evidence sessions with ministers or other experts published by those select committees. We might look at reports from the National Audit Office, which is the body which scrutinizes government spending and they look at the decisions that departments have made. Um, we also look at reports from other think tanks or, or from academic institutions, but, but we'll also look at what government itself puts out on a certain issue and scrutinize and read government publications. Um, the second way that we do research, and this is, uh, speaks a lot to what Gavin leads on, is we look at government or parliamentary data to understand what government is doing, but also we flag the gaps in government data um, when, when they aren't uh, publishing what we think they should be. Um, I think very importantly, we spend time talking to people. Um, so we interview indiv individuals working in government or in parliament. Uh, we speak to current or former politicians, but we also speak to um, experts in the field so that we can draw on other, other people's expertise when, uh, when publishing our reports. I mean, linked to that, we also, as we mentioned already before, we might uh, hold private roundtables to inform research. So a researcher will play a role in actually drawing up a list of people to speak to um, and getting them all together in a room here so that you can get, you can hear what different experts have to say when they're interacting with each other, not just what they say to us one-on-one. -on -one. And that can be a really important way to hear different people's conversations, but also to inform uh, our, our messages, our key messages and recommendations. And so, we, so that's sort of the process that researchers go through. Um, but the sort of key part of this is it's not enough just to publish our research, but we also want people to pay attention to it. And I think in particular, those last two points that I mentioned, interviews and roundtables, are a key part of us in us being able to promote our work. So by doing those things, we build relationships with people. We, we often build relationships with the people that we want to be uh, changing things um, so that when we publish something, we actually, they already know that the research is coming. Um, they can promote it themselves, but also have conversations with us afterwards about how to implement some of our recommendations. Um, it's also been mentioned, you know, we do hold a lot of events here, and those can also inform our research. So uh, the Brexit team has held a number of key events um, where we get uh, experts into a room to discuss things. So, for example, in September, when the Operation Yellowhammer, so that's the sort of uh, the No Deal planning documents were published by the government, we had an event here where we had um, the former uh, head of the Department for Exiting the EU on the panel. We also had Hilary Benn, who is the chair of the Exiting the EU committee um, to actually discuss what was in those documents and what the significance of those are. Um, we also do a lot of report launches as well. So that's, again, a way to say, look, we're publishing this piece of research. People who are interested, please come along, hear our key messages, and let's, let's have a conversation afterwards. 
Um, and I think that that sort of goes to the fact that being a researcher here is not just about doing the research, but it's also about building networks and actually uh, building relationships with people so that we can then, as I say, publicize our, our um, work further. So that might be attending external events in the relevant area working on, so you can meet other interest, people who are interested in, in those issues. Um, but also, and I think this is really important, is we do use Twitter a lot for that as well. Um, so I do spend quite a lot of my time uh, scrolling Twitter. That is, a, that is a key part of um, some of our jobs here. Um, but it's also a way to talk to people and to actually, again, uh, uh, highlight your comment pieces, your explainers, your piece of research, but also you can end up having a conversation with someone um, and, build, and build relationships that way. So I won't speak for any longer. That's a sort of a bit of an overview from my perspective of what researchers do here, because as I say, we, we are a think tank and research is the main thing we, we do. But on the other hand, we want to make sure people are reading what we're doing and actually paying attention to it. So sort of, those are the two sides of, of a researcher's job at the IFG. Thank you so much. Um, so finally, we're going to hear from Akash, who is a senior fellow at the Institute. He manages our work on devolution and the union, and he's going to talk about how we recruit for the internship and what kind of candidate we're looking for. Thanks, Thanks Katsuki. And uh, yeah, good evening. Thanks for, for coming. So um, as mentioned, uh, my, my main job here is to lead our devolution works. At the moment, uh, we are writing something on uh, how and when a second referendum on Scottish independence might happen which uh, may or may not be a big issue on Friday morning, depending on the election results. Um, and that's why uh, one of our current interns, as mentioned, Kelly, who's at the back there, I think, has been doing some, hi Kelly, <laughs> has been doing some work on uh, the principle of self-determination and how that might apply to Scotland. But um, I'm not here to talk about that, because I also, um, every six months when this, uh, our internship uh, recruitment process starts, um, oversee um, the, the recruitment process um, with uh, input from lots and lots of people across the organization. Um, so I'm here just to give you a quick overview of how we recruit um, and uh, what we're looking for and um, hopefully to, to share some, some tips if you do um, decide to make an application, uh, which I hope many of you choose to do. Um, so first of all, uh, in terms of the, the timing, um, I think, Ketuki, you mentioned earlier we are about to launch our um, spring 2020 recruitment uh, process. So it may, all, it may have gone live while we're all sitting in here, I'm not sure. Colleagues were, <laughs> were on the case, I know, uh, just earlier this afternoon. But certainly by tomorrow, um, this will be live on the website, so, so keep an eye uh, keep an eye on it, it should be um, on, the, on the front page or uh, you'll find it fairly easily. Um, so a um, couple of other key dates for your, for your diary if you, if, if you do think about putting in an application. So you'll have uh, over the holiday period, so the deadline for applications is going to be the 6th, 6th of January. Um, and then, then uh, we'll be interviewing people in the week commencing the 20th of January. Um, so um, ideally, uh, you would need to be around. Though we do do interviews um, by Skype if people are unable to be in, in, in London um, in the interview period, and we try to offer a, a, a few options if you're if you're shortlisted at that stage. And then we'd be looking to appoint uh, four or five uh, new people to start in early April. 
uh, with, with a bit of flexibility, but it'll be, yeah, it'll be an, April, an April start. Um, so that's the, the, the sort of timeline for it. So obviously a sort of prior question for you is whether that, that fits in with your own plans and so on. Um, if it does, um, let me get into uh, how we go about recruitment. So um, first of all, in terms of what we're looking for, well, there's, um, you'll see when you, when you do go into the uh, application process, there's a, there's a few pre prerequisites, uh, but not too many. So um, in terms of availability, um, these are uh, full-time positions. So they're not the kind of internships, unfortunately, that you can do um, alongside studying. Um, I think the guys have, have kind of given you an, an indication of how interns are really um, integral parts of, of project teams. So uh, for both sides, really, we found through experience that, f uh, that sort of part-time roles don't, don't work so well. Occasionally, we take on people for uh, a minimum of, of, of four days a week, but basically we're looking for full-time people. Um, these are six-month um, appointments. So, um, yeah, obviously you'd, you'd need to be able to, to commit for that length of time. Um, and then the one kind of uh, prerequisite in terms of what people need to have, uh, we do look for uh, people who've got um, or are predicted to get, if you're just coming up to, to graduation, um, a degree with a 2-1 with a, a minimum grade or uh, international equivalent. Um, so that's the kind of the, 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 the basic prerequisite. But we have no requirements about what degree you've studied or which university. Um, and as I said, you could just be in your final year and, and, and be, be applying on the basis of uh, uh, predicted, predicted grades. Um, so those are the, yeah, those are the kind of fairly simple prerequisites we have. Then what are we looking for more generally? Well, a lot of this information will be in, in fact, most of what I say, I could probably just refer you to this, but hopefully it'll make it <laughs> stick with you if you hear it from me as well. So, so alongside the, um, the ad which will go up on our website tomorrow for the application process, there'll be an information pack uh, which sets out a lot of detail about the process and what we're looking for, so I would, of course, encourage you to read that thoroughly uh, before, you, before you start your application. Um, and that sets out uh, what we're looking for in, in, in people we'd appoint. So aside from what I've already mentioned, um, the three key things are um, we're looking for people naturally with knowledge of or simply a strong interest in government in the UK. That's kind of, I wouldn't expect you to be here if you didn't have that. Um, secondly, um, we're looking for people with strong organizational, analytical, and communication skills. So the analytical skills, as mentioned, this is uh, a research-led organization. You will be doing research, whether it's more quantitative or more qualitative. Whoops, I can't say that word. <laughs> you know what I said. Uh, probably some combination of the two. Um, so you do need those analytical skills. But it's not just a research job. Um, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's not a, a, an equivalent to an academic post. Um, as you've heard, interns will be involved in organizing events, such as this excellent event. So you need, ideally, people with, uh, with those kind of competencies too. And then there's a communication side of it as well, both, of course, being able to write for publication and also um, being able to represent the institute in meetings, uh, so there's sort of all communication side as well. So those are the skills we're looking for, which we test in various ways um, through the process. 
Um, and then finally, um, we do want people um, who have and, and kind of persuade us that they have a commitment to the values and the, the mission of the Institute for Government. So various people have kind of talked a bit about this already. Um, we exist to improve the effectiveness of government. So we have a mission. That's the, that's the reason this place exists. Um, in terms of our values, we're politically impartial. That's very important. Um, we are evidence-led, so um, all our work has to be uh, rigorous and robust, as you'd expect. And uh, we try to be innovative. That's one of our stated values. You've seen some of Gavin's attempts to turn data into sound, which I think definitely ticks the innovative box. Gavin, I guess you've got three senses to go, so we're going to see <laughs> data translated into smell next or something. I'm not sure, but um, that's... Yeah, or taste, perhaps. But um, so th 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 those are the those are the yeah the values and, and, and mission that we, we hope informs our work, um, and so yeah, just obviously in preparation both before writing an application and then if if you're if you're lucky enough to be invited in for interview, um, read into of course how we work and, and how we understand and, and put those those ideas into practice as much as you can. Okay, so that's the sort of overall uh, set of things. In terms of then the specifics of the process, um, so we use um, for application process a system called Applied, which, has, has anyone come across this? It's, it's becoming quite a common uh, recruitment platform used by government departments and other think tanks and so on. Has anyone seen this in action? Okay, well you will do if you, <laughs> if you go through this. So it's a, um, it's an external the recruitment platform, but the link will obviously be there from our website, so just go to our website and, in the first instance. Um, and it's, um, it's set up to be quite a user-friendly uh, application. It's also quite useful for us as a way to uh, capture all the information about people and assess different things. And it's also designed specifically to eliminate bias uh, during the recruitment process in, in various ways. So it's quite a nice tool. Um, and then there's, there's sort of systems for collecting your feedback after you've submitted your application, if you have thoughts about how it could be improved and so on. So we do try to, to refine and improve how we run this thing um, every, every time we do so. Um, so in, when you get into the uh, application, there'll be some basic, you know, about you information and the normal stuff you'd be expected to, uh, to, to submit. We don't ask for CVs, so, so you have to fill in some forms, but hopefully not too many. Um, and then there's a multiple choice test. Um, and this is, of course, a, a, a key part of the assessment. Uh, we normally get, um, hopefully it doesn't uh, put people off, we do normally get um, between sort of 250 to 300 applications. Um, so we use the multiple choice test as a way to generate uh, our, our long list. Um, who, get, who then get taken through to the next stage. So definitely important to be ready and to, be, and, and to prepare for this as much as possible. There's 20, 20 questions in the test. You have half an hour to uh, complete it. Once you've started it, the clock is ticking. You can't go back and start it again. So it, when you, if and when you do this, be ready, have a quiet place. Uh, to do it, have a good Wi-Fi connection so you don't get disconnected, have a calculator and some scrap paper ready um, because part of it uh, does involve some maths questions. Um, specifically within the 20 questions, yeah, we have um, eight 
uh, maths questions, so a lot of it sort of just, uh, you know, sort of simple calculations involving percentages, fractions. There's a few that also uh, test a bit of uh, like probability and geometry. Uh, so you might want to just refresh some of some of those um, concepts uh, from sort of GCSE maths, <laughs> uh, or, or more recently if you've studied more recently, um, before you start. Um, then there were also there's also a section where you're asked to uh, interpret a an IFG chart. So lots of people have talked about IFG charts. That's a big part of our work. So uh, that's just a test that you can sort of make sense of. Of a, of, of a fairly sort of straightforward uh, bar chart or line chart or something like that. Um, and then there's some verbal reasoning sections as well, for example, um, from a sort of short extract of a te uh, text, you might be asked, do these certain questions, uh, sorry, certain statements um, align with or contradict the argument being made in the text? Um, it's the kind of question you might have seen if you've done uh, sort of graduate admissions tests in in the US, the GRE, or something like that. So those are the uh, those are the main uh, sections of the multiple choice test. Um, after you've completed that, um, then there are sort of four uh, short answer questions um, that you're asked to to fill, and those are of course not under under time pressure. Um, there's just a box to to add details about your education, which we, as I say, we don't sort of judge that other than to test the prerequisites. Um, there's a section on what past experience you have. Um, and for that, um, these are, of course, early career roles. So we're not expecting loads of professional experience. If you, if you have relevant volunteering or uh, experience at, in university societies and things like that, then um, that can also be relevant. Um, and then the two key ones which we will be using this time to uh, assess applications. The first is a question um, on your motivation. So why are you applying to the IFG internship program? Um, you've got 250 words to answer that. And what we're really looking for is evidence that you understand us, how we work, uh, what drives us in, in the ways in terms of values and so on, that I, as I've mentioned. Um, and then, yeah, what is it about that and our current work program that interests or atta attracts you? And perhaps something about sort of where you see yourself going as well, uh, career-wise, and how this could be a useful uh, stepping stone towards that. So that's the first key question. The second one um, is a question, which I'll read it out so I don't get it wrong. Um, other than Brexit, what two or three topics do you think the Institute for Government should focus on in 2020 and why? And for that, um, again, obviously, we're, we're expecting people who have a sense of what would fit into the Institute for Government program um, and also shows a, a, an understanding of the political context and is able to write persuasively and coherently about why particular topics uh, could could or should be part of our program. Um, and across all of this, we'll also be uh, looking, of course, at your, uh, the, the quality of, of writing. So do check very carefully for any errors. Um, you know, I know it sounds obvious, but um, you'd be surprised at how many applications we get which do have very avoidable spelling and grammatical and punctuation errors, or even people who haven't, uh, who've copied and pasted text from another application and accidentally 
apply to the Institute for Fiscal Studies or the Institute for Economic Affairs in, by, by mistake. Um, so that sounds obvious, but um, <laughs> uh, people do, do make that mistake. So that's the sort of written process. Um, we then end up interviewing uh, usually around 12 to 15 people, as I say, for four or five roles. Um, interviews I mentioned would take place in January. I obviously can't give away too much about exactly what we'd ask at interview, but part of the uh, process would be uh, you'd be asked to prepare something beforehand to come in ready to speak about. Um, so that would just be to give, give an opportunity to demonstrate your, your, your understanding of a particular subject. Obviously more information would be provided if you were shortlisted. There are then some competency questions um, and some, maybe some other thematic questions about some of the particular issues uh, we're thinking about at that time. Um, so that's probably enough information on the process from me. Um, just a few sort of final tips. Um, if I haven't already said all of these. So obviously, read up on what we do and how we work. Think, look at what our areas of, of current work are. There's loads of stuff on the website, but some of it is a bit dated. Um, think about what you've done and what you could add. Uh, prepare if you're, if you're invited for interview for the competency questions. So think about good examples of what you've done um, and, and how they show you in the best light. Um, and also think about any questions you might have for us, uh, which is a good segue to asking if you've got any questions for us now. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Akash. Great. So now we're going to go on to the questions part, which the panel will answer. Um, so if you've got a question, no matter how big or small, um, please get your hand up and you can direct it at someone specifically or at the whole panel um, and Colm and Kelly will be roving around with the mics. Thanks. I've got one over here. A couple. Um, this is just a really specific question. Um, how does your autumn 2020 program work? Because someone who's like me who's studying, I wouldn't be able to do it until then. When would applications start for that? And would you also be taking on another five interns? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess that's one for me. Um, we run the process every six months, uh, so and, and all, usually, yes, it's uh, four or five people we take on. So um, if you sign up for our, our newsletter, for example, I recommend everyone does that, of course, <laughs> um, then you'd get a notification. But otherwise, just keep an eye on, on the website in about six months' time from now, and we'll be taking applications for um, September, October start got another one over here and then after that do you do any work on science and innovation policy um, so Gavin maybe do a bit um, of sort of and um, we've, we've we did a report um, a year or two ago which sort of looked at why um, sort of further education, higher education in particular, was being affected by issues like loads of ministers and loads of different officials and why that was hampering progress. Um, in terms of sort of more broad, broadly on science innovation, we're obviously doing some work on digital government, which starts to touch on some of that and talk to a lot of people in Whitehall who are trying to introduce more innovative working practices as well as different technology. We are currently um, thinking about a project on... Um, sort of a bit more environmentally focused in terms of carbon capture and things like that. 
So there are, there are it, it's one of those things that comes across various different bits of our work and has been sort of a focus, but not, not, not quite as explicitly as you might find at someone like Nesta. Um, I mentioned those sort of organisations which are sort of think tanks and sort of aren't. Nesta um, is probably in that category. They, they're very focused on innovation. Um, so broadly, we do bits and pieces, but perhaps not always specifically on that. And also, Gavin hosts an event called Data Bytes once every month or so, and where we have a lot of different people from around government and different other think tanks who come in and give really short, like seven-minute presentations. And often, those <coughs> presentations are quite science-themed, so there, there is some kind of discussion. Yeah. Yeah, you can find them all on the website, well worth watching. Um, the other thing I should have said as well, um, another part of our work looks at the evidence that goes into policy making, and some of our colleagues have looked in particular at how well government and academia talk to one another, and done lots of events with sort of chief scientific advisors and things like that. Great. We've got one question down here. Oh, I think it was, yeah, the one in the black. Yeah. Hi, uh, one for Akash. Um, so you mentioned after the uh, multiple choice uh, test questions. There were going to be four short format questions, motivational questions. Did you say they were timed or untimed? The, no, the, the, the multiple choice test is timed, of course. The four short answer questions are not timed. Okay. And you can, if you, you know, dra write a draft and want to save and come back to it, you can do that as up until the deadline. Yeah. Okay, great, thank mm. you. Great. Do you mind passing the mic? Just thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Um, so, when you, if you have a like um, an interest, that you, uh, something that you're more interested in, or something you rather know about, are you meant meant to um, note that in your application, and would you kind of be assigned to a team or a research project accordingly to that, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, Akash, maybe that's a yeah. Good um, in your application, if you have particular areas that you, you have an interest or a background in, um, that strengthens your, 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 your case, then um, sure, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't discourage you from, uh, from setting that out. But when it comes to our um, allocation of, of, of people, um, I mean, in the first place, it's driven by you know, where projects have, have needs. So in the current, uh, in the upcoming round, um, we haven't made decisions yet about exactly where to place the people because who knows what the world's going to look like in next week, let alone April 2020. But usually, yes, yeah, someone would get put working with Gavin, lucky them, on, on all the exciting data stuff. Uh, someone would be probably working on some aspect of uh, public services. Someone's usually working with, with me on devolution. What happens to the Brexit team is sort of TBC. <laughs> um, that, yeah, slightly depends so, on what happens on Friday. Yeah. So at, at this point, obviously, if you're writing an application after next, after even Friday, then it, some things may become clearer. But yeah, um, basically, the, the exact decisions wouldn't be made till later on. So what I guess I would advocate is or advise is uh, give a sense of areas where you're particularly interested, but. Um, not to the extent of saying, you know, you wouldn't be open to working on anything else. Can um, I just jump in as well, just yeah. because, uh, so I've interviewed uh, applicants before uh, a few times, and it is a question in our interviews is, of the areas that we work, is there an area you're particularly yeah, interested in? Yeah. So even if you don't flag it in your application process, if you get to interview, you can express an interest. But as Akash says, obviously it really does depend on where need is in the institute. But there are there is an opportunity in the interview process to say, actually this is the area I'm particularly interested in. Also, 
yeah, just, just go for it. Yeah. On that as well, I guess, I don't know if I expressed it or not in my interview, but I came into this like really focused and interested on like constitutional issues. So stuff about like fixed term parliaments act or what's going on in parliament and stuff ended up in the public services team, something that I hadn't really thought about before, something that I hadn't really had much exposure to, um, is really, really great. Like, I'm really thankful, actually, that I got put in a team that wasn't, like, on constitutional stuff because I've been opened up to, like, a whole new area of policy and I've learned so much. So, you know, I've, I talk to constitutional people every day, you know, if I want to have chats with people about it, if I want advice from them about stuff, then I can obviously go to them. They're only sitting across the office for me. But, yeah, so it, it works out regardless of what happens. Definitely. I agree. It's, and it's also not so rigid, like the exact work that you do. It's not like you have a schedule mm -hmm. every day and you have to be doing this and you're told it all by your line manager. Like you, There's a lot of flexibility for you to volunteer to work on specific projects within your team or within your sort of broad area of the institute. Um, and things like we're having discussions about like international strategy, there's certain aspects of like the composition of parliament that I've been really interested in getting involved with and I've definitely had the flexibility of being able to do that and pursue niche things and also discover interests that I didn't know I had um, during the internship. Do we have some more questions? Great, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, could we get a question right at the back, Kelly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just curious about how your research projects are funded. Do you do it on a project by project basis or is there a pot of money that funds research you're particularly interested in? So, and could we get a couple more questions and then we'll answer them all at the same time? Um, we'll get one here um, in, the, in the back, right back, great. My one was just, does the Institute do any policy work around like social housing and the housing sector in general? Yeah, that would be great. Uh, hi, thank you. Um, you mentioned that there's going to be training, which is obviously great. Um, but I was wondering whether you would um, kind of specialize in more quantitative or qualitative methods or whether it was more kind of an all-round training. Fantastic. Well, I'll take funding and I'll, I'll touch briefly on training, but I'm sure others will have something to say. Um, funding, um, Bronwyn mentioned that um, we were set up by Lord Sainsbury, who has a big charitable foundation called the Gatsby Foundation, and um, that's still where across the Institute we get about 80 to 85% of our funding from, but we are trying to diversify. Um, so we look at, um, we'll work with particular companies on particular projects in terms of, you know, they will give us money to do it, and it does not affect um, the outcome of our research. And we're also talking to various other charitable trusts and increasingly thinking about sort of academic funding as well. In terms of on a project-by-project project basis, um, some things that we will do that we really, really want to do will come out of our core funding anyway. Um, others we will do if we're able to find a suitable partner. Um, it's very much on a sort of project-by-project project basis um, like that. Um, we also get lots of events funded. Um, and again, events can be very powerful as ways of sort of getting our voice heard and, and making impact as well as learning lots of things as, as well as research. Um, just very quickly on the training, um, when it comes to sort of quant versus qual, we try to give everybody um, a bit of both, um, to be honest. Our sort of vision and the, the way that we've been able to get lots of people across the institute interested in using data is because we try to give everybody a sort of base level um, of being able to work with data. Um, every visualization you see from us pretty much is done in Microsoft Excel. And that is, uh, honestly, and so we, we sort of push it um, to the extremes. 
Um, but we, obviously some people will fall slightly more into perhaps working on some of the data projects, but we try to give everybody um, a, a bit of a chance to do that. Anyone else have anything else to say on maybe on sort of social housing point? I mean, the simple answer is I don't believe we have done anything that comes to mind on, on that on that policy area, um, other than maybe as a sort of minor part of work we've done on um, infrastructure strategy. Uh, so there was a whole strand of a program of work, um, well, still carrying on, but most of it was a year or so ago, I guess. Um, on yeah, on, on, on various aspects of, of how government could and and, and should do uh, make take decisions about infrastructure, um, and it's probably also, it has also come into some of the work we've done, but in quite an indirect way on um, on devolution, um, for example, the looking at the, the powers of metro mayors for particular city regions and so on. But we've never had a project explicitly on on housing policy possibly one that might come up in future. I don't, I don't know particular plans on that. And just to chime in very quickly on that, again, it's not, as Akash says, it's not something that we've, we've really done much on in the past. Um, people do have the opportunity to pitch things while they're here. So actually, the, the future technology project with the robots, um, you saw earlier, that actually came from one of our interns suggesting that with to Bronwyn over lunch. Um, at one point, so there might, I, I don't want to overstate <laughs> how much scope there is to do that, but there may be some scope to do that. And again, as political, as the political environment changes, it might be something that we, we, we look at. And does anyone want to add anything about the qualitative and quantitative mix? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I have much more to add than Gavin, really. I think it, there is an element of it, it does depend uh, what team you end up on in terms of how much quantitative and qualitative work you do. So I've largely done mainly qualitative stuff while I've been here, although I am um, working with uh, our team on parliamentary monitor, which is a data-driven look at how parliament is performing. So I am getting to do some quantitative work now. Um, and I think with interns, I think looking at interns again, it really depends where you work. I think we do try and use both in, in the sorts of work we do, um, but, but there is definitely certain teams are skewed much more one way than the other. Um, so I think it, do, it does really depend, but as Gavin says, everyone does do data training when they join. I did it, and there's always opportunities to go back and do it again, um, which is really, really helpful, even if you're not working day-to-day -day with data, because it, it's obviously it's run by Gavin, it's obviously great as a result, um, but it is, it's, a, it's a good way to sort of also understand how IFG looks at data because particularly as an intern you might be asked by your team to put something together um, either for explainers or just for charts to go out in response to parliamentary votes for example I know Casey did that for some of the Brexit votes so it's, it's, it is you can get training in quantitative stuff I think we have less training around qualitative to be honest I think that's a bit more dependent on who you're working with on your team and um, where they might sit down with you and talk about how we do it at the institute but we don't have as, as clear a formal uh, training around that but you do I think we're aware of the fact that while interns are with us for six months it's really good for them to get as broad an experience as possible so to try and ensure they can have experience in both um, both areas of work and I think that's sort of up to intern line managers but also as an institute that's something we're, we're quite keen to ensure that interns get a chance to do. And Katie, I guess you, well, you and Sook have just gone through the induction and, and sort of elements of training that come with that. So yeah, so my, so my background is very qualitative in that I studied politics and philosophy at university and all of my work experience was very journalism related. So I was like writing all the time. Um, and when I got here, I'm in the Whitehall Monitor, which I'd say is probably the, the intern of the Whitehall Monitor team does the most data-driven and quantitative work, but I'm actually loving it. And I, 
find it really refreshing and nice to have a mix of working with numbers and working with words. Um, and I, I've given opportunities to do quite substantial things in both. So I get to make a lot of charts and tweak them out, but I also get to write a whole chapter of the report. So it feels like I'm getting to exercise my skills in both and get better at both at the same time, which um, I know like it's quite a hard balance to strike. So. Yeah, and I guess you could, the spread is across time as well. So because I'm at the beginning of projects, I'm actually doing a lot of reading and stuff. I imagine as we get into a further stage, it will be more making charts and graphs and graphics and doing some of that data stuff in Excel. And then you'll go back to when it comes to writing up, again, you know, more sort of cold stuff. So it, it can change depending on sort of where you are in a project as well. Great. Should we get some more questions going? Sure. Awesome. Okay, so we've got one at the front here, and then next we'll get one over here, and then we'll get one over there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, are there any areas in particular that the Institute sort of isn't interested in, like something like national security or economic policy or some area where you, it's, you think it's just really not your remit or you'd prefer not to focus on? Thank you. And then can we get one over here? Hi. Um, uh, I have two questions, really. Firstly, what is the, um, what's the salary aspect of the internship? Um, and secondly... Um, what are your links with academia? I mean, we've heard about your links with the civil service, um, with government ministers. Uh, but if you could talk a little bit more about that, that would be really useful. So, do you mind repeating the first part of the question? What's the salary? <laughs> oh, the salary. oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, didn't hear that. And then there was one question just there. Great, thanks. Um, what proportion of your internship intake are undergrads or six months out of, or straight out of undergrad and six months out of undergrad? Yeah. Uh, hi, uh, Gavin. At the in, in your in your section, you mentioned uh, one of the IFG's differentiators being the focus on on the how rather than just the what. I guess I'm just interested in how much that overlaps with the work of government itself, civil service. Some great questions. Mm -hmm. So, um, should we start with the first question, which is something things that the IFG isn't working on or isn't doing research on? I mean, I suppose it's sort of in flux is, is one way to put it. I mean, traditionally, um, we've, the Institute has generally sort of defined what it does do, what it does and what it doesn't do by the distinction, did you make this point before, between um, what and how. So there's lots of think tanks that do work on you know, particular public policy issues and, and come up with proposals for what government should be doing. We've much, uh, more overwhelmingly focused on how government works, how it should implement its policy, how it can work better, more efficiently, and so on. Um, that's not exactly a really clear-cut line to, to draw, and I think we've, we're doing more in the area of sort of traditional public policy research these days. And as Bronwyn mentioned at the start, um, we're about to be launching a new um, sort of policy institute almost within this building looking at transport and energy policy. We've done work in recent times. I mentioned infrastructure on health and social care integration and so on. So I guess we're sort of uh, broadening out in some respects. I mean, we haven't done much on... The question was from here, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, we haven't done much on national security, foreign policy, other than Brexit, defence, those kind of areas. Um, so those would be some of the kind of key... Dis 
dividing lines. I, yeah. I, th I think the Howard distinction is, is a good one in that we did have something called the National Security Council, yeah. didn't we? Oh, we even there we did, the National right. Security Council, which is like the body of how has national security or how has national security policy or decision making changed. So I think that's a good way of looking at it in terms of, you know, and again, it's, it's sort of through the, the machinery lens, if you like. That's a really clunky way of putting it. It doesn't sound particularly exciting, but it still is exciting. Um, but again, how, how does that sort of work in terms of decision-making and how it relates to uh, politics and the centre of government? Um, maybe if I take the overlap yes. question, because yep. it sort of um, follows some like, um, Yes, there is quite a lot of um, overlap. I think the difference for us, if you're working in government or if you're working in parliament, especially at the moment, although obviously we've been quite frantic over the last few years as well, you don't usually get that time to step back and think about how you do things. And um, having worked in politics, I think one of the things that was really attractive to coming to the Institute actually was that there is nothing like working for a political party to start understanding why institutions and how they run themselves really matter, because politics is a shambles, frankly. Um, so. There is quite a lot of overlap in terms of the subject areas. A lot of the stuff that we look at does tend to be about how civil service or about how politics works and could work better. But I think that the difference that we bring to it is, again, Bronwyn used that phrase, critical friend. We are there to make government better. We will point things out that are working well when we can, but we are there to rigorously research. And we've got the time and the connections and the space and the distance be able to rigorously research that and come up with recommendations for making it better. Fantastic. And now I think Akash is going to talk to us about the salary question. Yeah, just I, I ought to mention this earlier. So the, the salary for this uh, from April will be 21,000, which is London living wage. Um, and that is on the basis of 37 and a half hour uh, five day working week. Um, and you get, well, the annual leave entitlement paid leave is 30 days but that's prorated well for a six-month internship you have 15 days of of paid leave and a free lunch every day <laughs> also true yes big perks and then i think maybe akash the there's the question about links with academia if you've got something to say about that to what extent Sh the yeah sure i mean um, we have, we've, we've, I think in, 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 in your discussion of where we get funding from, Gavin uh, mentioned, um, link, yeah, sort of projects we've done with, with, that, with university um, departments or individual academics as, as one uh, sort of partnership model. It's been a relatively rare model for us, actually. I mean, one of our, uh, one of the senior fellows here, Catherine Haddon, who, who people may have seen, um, on the news from time to time. Um, she has been funded or may still be funded through the, um, the AHRC, the, um, the Arts and Humanities Research Council. Um, and through that, there's been a sort of relationship with King's College London, I think. Um, and from time to time, we've done other sort of partnerships um, on particular events, for example, um, with, with, with the university departments. But we haven't tended to do that much, actually. And I mean, also to go back to the funding question, it, it, it's again something we're thinking about at the moment. We've been talking to one university about possibly partnering on a particular project. And mm. um, we had somebody from the University of Southampton here for three months working on something. As yeah. Akash says, it's yeah. not a 
it, it hasn't been a, a sort of biggest bit of our partnership work recently, but we're sort of open to. Ideas. I think it's also just worth flagging that you know, in a more informal way, we do. I mean, we will interview <coughs> academics as part of our research. Mm, mm. You know, we recognise that there's a lot of expertise um, in those institutions, so where relevant, we will talk to people who know um, areas because sure. they've spent a lot of time researching it. So there are also just informal links that also they yeah. that. That is sort of part of what we do, so we don't completely ignore the academic community um, <laughs> entirely. Um, and I was going to say something else, but I've completely forgotten what it is. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's not what I meant. <laughs> yes, you're no, no, quite no, right. I know, but I just wanted to point yeah, out you know, yeah. uh, that, 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 is, that we, do, we do talk to um, academics as well. So. Yeah. yeah. And on the question about the mix of undergrads and people who have a, some experience, just in terms of this current cohort, there's five of us. Um, three people came from masters with a bit of work experience, but me and Hayden came straight out of undergrad. So it, there aren't any specific rules about it. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it tends to be a mix. And we've had a few people sure. in the past who, um, including one of our current researchers who started as an intern, who might actually have a bit more experience, who perhaps worked in government for a little bit. So um, we're sort of very open mm -hmm. on all of that. Mm -hmm. Fab, should we get some more questions? Right, we've got one at the front here. If anyone else has questions, put your hand. Uh, yeah, following up directly on the, um, uh, the question on experience and how much experience directly after undergrad or not. Uh, what about um, for people who have a PhD? Um, um, how is that valued? Um, is are there recruitment opportunities also for this um, kind of CVs for this kind of people? And do we have any other questions? We can get a couple more in the same round. Oh, one here, one here. Um, this is for everyone, I guess. Um, how far do you feel like government listened to your suggestions in your work, and does it occasionally feel like you're just shouting into the void and not getting you know, a lot back? Great question. And then one, one more, one final one. No? OK, great. Um, should we? Akash, do you want to answer the question about PhD? Sure, yeah. Um, we've had, over the years, we've had a number of, uh, of interns who've joined us either having completed or occasionally while still <laughs> finishing or waiting to hear on uh, results of uh, PhD. Um, so, as, I mean, as, as Gavin said in response, and Katie as well, to the, to the last question, um, we do tend to get people at various stages um, in terms of both academic and, and work experience actually and and we kind of aspire to have that that kind of mix um, so you're have you, have you finished or you're shortly finishing you have yeah um, so yeah I mean it's it, we don't um, we, we, yeah we don't give sort of extra credit according to what stage you've reached in your in your academic career so to speak but obviously if you've done a PhD um, in a relevant area and also you know, maybe alongside that you've, you've got other relevant experience and you would have developed research skills, of course. Um, I mean, those are the kind of things that, that we're looking for. So um, obviously, you know, you can emphasize those in, in your application um, and, and that would strengthen, strengthen your standing. But it wouldn't be the PhD qualification per se that we would, we would give extra credit to, if that makes sense. Um, just on qualifications, because I don't think any of us have mentioned it so far. Um, Obviously, a lot of people who come here have got some sort of politics degree, but also it's just worth saying that there's quite a wide range of other degrees. So, yeah. history, um, English, geography. We've got a few scientists in the building as well who've sort of gone for a bit of a career change. Um, so, again, whatever subject you've done, um, mm -hmm. there are opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then on the question on whether government listens to mm. us, I was wondering if you had something to say on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think to be perfectly honest, it, it can be difficult to like, measure impact that we have um, because it, it often, the, way, the times that we find out government has listened has often come through more anecdotally. So we might know that some of the work that we've done has informed something the government has, has, has ended up doing. Um, I think, Gavin, if you have any examples where that's so, happened. So I was going to say, that I, I, I like to think of it as sort of picket fence impact. You, can, you can't always see all of it, but you sometimes get glimpses. Mm -hmm. um, we know that a lot of our charts, for instance, are used in inductions in the civil service. We know the government has started publishing things because we've told them to. One of my favourite examples, and it also goes to, it can be some, it can be very frustrating sometimes because you put these brilliant things out, and of course government should do all of it, and it takes them ages to do it. Um, back in, I think, 2011, 2012, we did quite a lot of work on policy making and how the UK government could be better at it. And I think when that research first came out, government was, oh, we're the best in the world at this, we don't really need to listen. And of course, a year or two later, they've adopted all of the things that were recommended in that and have started using that um, to sort of teach others how they do policy better. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. And again, sometimes you'll put, you know, I've, 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 I've had departments quite upset get in touch with me as soon as we put out a chart saying, why have we done so badly in that ranking? And then that starts a conversation which actually really helps you to make an impact because so much of the time it's... Moments like that can help you make the connections, the networks, which I think people were talking about earlier, that means that it's, it's an ongoing conversation and you can't always tell if the thing that you did definitely made that happen, but it ended up happening. So. And I guess, and another sort of example, I know that reports that uh, colleagues have worked on, you know, they've ended up being invited into the department to then mm. give talks to either the senior team um, or to people working on that issue to actually discuss the recommendations in the report. And again, you might not see all those recommendations implemented, but you do know that you're creating a conversation in the civil service, which, which is important. And I think, I mean, from some of the Brexit stuff that I've been working on, because I sort of mentioned that our, some of our audience is slightly different to some of that. I mean, we are, are talking to government a lot, but we also are often just trying to inform the general debate. And I think we can see that the, the sort of explainers that we put out do, uh, lots of people read them. Um, it, can, it can inform um, what's going on and, and actually help just clarify some of the sort of murkiness around what has been going on in Brexit in the last year. And I think we, we do see some of that impact feed through. Um, although, again, it, it's not necessarily about impacting government in that way. It's also, it's, it's also just about trying to have a, a more honest conversation about what's happening. And I think we have seen um, some of that has actually cut through, particularly in terms of the public debate. So just in terms of people like reading our explainers and, and sharing them on Twitter and things like that. Um, so that's a, a slightly different form of impact, but it is also quite important. Yeah. And we quite often also give um, evidence to parliamentary committees, mm -hmm. which is often another quite good way to... Um, to influence the debate and, yeah, and sometimes to, to influence what ultimately happens. But there's that sort of additional step um, in, in the process where, yeah, we would sort of contribute evidence, both written and oral, to hopefully persuade a, a, a parliamentary committee to, to adopt something similar to what we've said and, and then that may feed through into changing government. Fantastic. So that's the end of the panel. Um, Thank you very much for asking some great, really insightful questions. So we have a great variety of drinks and snacks outside, and a bunch of our researchers are going to be coming in to chat to all of you and answer all your questions and get to know you all. Um, me, Suk, Hayden, Colm, and Kelly, the current interns, will also be there. So please ask us all kinds of questions. 
Um, and very quickly before you leave, we want to reach a really wide variety of people and collect diversity data so that we can see how well we've done and try and get better at this. Um, so we've got a anonymous questionnaire that takes about 15 seconds to complete. So if you've got your smartphone, um, it would be fantastic if you could really quickly just fill that in and meet us outside for some good chat and food. Thank you very much.